This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here are your hosts, Lauren Feldman and Celeste Corrado. Welcome to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, Senior Editor of Entrepreneurship at Forbes, and I'm here with my co-host, Celeste Corrado, Director of the Warden Small Business Development Center. How are you doing, Celeste? I'm doing well, Lauren. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Always good to see you. What's new with you? Um... Well, I had a, a fun week last week. I was at a conference in uh, Sun Valley, Idaho, met a lot of really cool companies and business owners. Uh, how about you? I, you know, the same old, same old. We're, you know, taking our clients. Come, they come in through the door. We match them up and we try to help them, you know, solve their pro- their challenges one at a time. And it's business as usual, but always Does good. it slow down over the summer? Uh, it, or? It, the only thing that slows down is we don't have the student consultants on board. And they come in, you know, it'll be August 29th, they'll come in and energize the place. It'll be, you know, hopping. So it, to your point, it's, it's quiet right now. Um, and it's really just managing our clients right now. As usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show is about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. Any questions or concerns about your business, anything that's keeping you up at night, especially if it involves e-commerce or hiring, uh, call us at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And as always. This is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to this show is probably struggling with it too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. And again, that's one 942 7866 Back with us today, Celeste, to discuss those questions is one of our regular guests, Jay Goltz, founder and CEO of the Goltz Group. Jay owns the largest picture framing shop in the country, and he's got several other businesses, including a home furnishing store in Chicago. He's a manufacturer, a retailer, a distributor, and he sells online, which is one of the things we want to talk about today. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Always good to be here. Hey, Jay. Hi. <laughs> so, Jay, uh, there's been a lot in the news lately, a lot going on, and I'm really eager to get your reaction. Uh, one thing in particular, the... Um, the Supreme Court decision on the Internet sales tax, which seems to finally resolve that issue. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically it's meant that uh, e-commerce companies have been collecting sales tax pretty much only in states where they have operations. Now they're going to have to collect it every in every state that demands it. It's up to the states whether they want to demand it or not. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that most states are going to demand it. Um, good thing, bad thing, big impact, little impact. What do you think? Well, as a citizen of the United States, as a citizen of a city, I think the cities have been going broke because they've lost so much sales tax revenue. And I know that people like getting their free, getting you know, like it when they don't have to pay sales tax, but that's a major revenue source for cities. So I've said for years it was killing them because if you just do the math, if you just look like it, it's Zappos, if you look at their volume. And you and if you just take in your own city, just one company could be costing the city five million dollars worth of sales tax. Now I think they're collecting it now, but back they weren't, you know, uh, in the very beginning. So, so from that standpoint, I think the cities need the money. As a seller, you know, I think it's probably going to make it less. You know, uh, I, I had a comment from a customer one time. She goes, oh, "I'm not a fan of paying uh, shipping." Well, who's a fan of paying anything? You know? But, you know, I'm sure they're not a fan of paying sales tax either, but you know, I think it's a level playing field now, and everybody's going to collect it, so I don't know that it's going to hurt anybody more than another person. Well, I've talked to some e-commerce uh, businesses, owners, who um, I, I guess I've, I've heard conflicting stories. Some uh, feel that this will not impose much of a burden on them. It won't be that hard to figure out how to charge sales tax state by state. Uh, some are very concerned about it. Uh, y- you have this situation. Are you concerned about it? Well, I presume that they're going to have some, you know, there's there's literally hundreds of taxing bodies in the United States. It's not just the state. Like right. in Chicago, you, you pay sales tax for the city, but if you're out in the suburbs, you pay less tax because it's a different county. So 
there are thousands of, of different taxing uh, places, and I, there, someone's going to have to figure out how to do that because a company couldn't possibly do that on their own that I can see. And, and I, I think isn't the rule you have to do $100,000 in a particular area before you have to pay the sales tax? Um, that yeah. certainly would help. But I think that's right. Yeah, at least in South Dakota, I guess, where that lawsuit was, yeah. Well, it's 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 definitely unmanageable for a smaller business or even for a bigger business without you know with literally thousands of taxing entities out there. How could you possibly do that without the government stepping in and, and making this simpler? I, I don't know this, but I assume somebody's working on software that uh, will make this easy if if they haven't created it already. Yeah, you, you know, I actually saw an article by Amazon that said that they don't think that this is going to impact them that much because they've already got software in place that allows them to sort of do that taxing or or pay the taxes. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, just as much as they've like sort of locked up the supply chain and been able to be really good at that whole sort of back of the house process, that that ends up being a software they distribute or sell or something to others i don't know possibility we'll we'll, we'll do it because there's money to be made there right or will this be another advantage for amazon that just helps them sure (laughs) conquer the rest of the world yeah it's just not practical for a smaller business to start knowing that in some county in connecticut i mean how how could you do that you can't so someone's going to have to to come up with a mechanism to do that yeah i guess the, the biggest concern it would be interesting to see what you think, Jay, is, you know, like um, Etsy.com or, you know, the ones that really sort of take that, you know, that one's all, you know, small crafts businesses that ends up providing sort of a framework for those businesses. I don't know enough about the tax laws to know how they would directly be impacted by it or whether Etsy.com would end up being that infrastructure for them or not. But what are your thoughts on that? That's Those are the ones I'm really concerned about, the small guys that are sort of aligned with the Etsy's of the world. You'd have to assume that Etsy's going to facilitate that. I mean, there's no way somebody could start filling out, you know, at it, the minimum, 50 tax returns for around the country. It's just not practical. I'm sure, and for Etsy to succeed and for all these companies to succeed, they're going to have to facilitate this. So as an entrepreneur, I got a list of things to worry about. This one's way down there because I don't worry about things I can't do anything about, and there's nothing I can do about this except sit and wait. So I'm far more concerned about things like runaway health insurance. And, yes. Uh, that that's that's a real problem. Every time the renewal comes up, I you know uh, you're it's 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 brutal, brutal. We're talking to Jay Goltz. If you have a question for him or for us, give us a call at one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Jay, I, I hear the pain in your voice. Did, is your renewal <laughs> up right now? Is this something you're uh, dealing with at the moment? Well, no. I'm going to tell you to the, the the government. People that work in government don't own businesses, and they don't get it. Like, for instance, I'm all for the minimum wage going up. It was ridiculously low. It hadn't been. It, it wasn't geared to inflation, so it was. So that was a problem. But there's a difference between a company who is going to pay. Let's say Chicago just went through this week. It's now twelve dollars an hour. It, back, you know, not long ago, it was eight dollars, which was too low. So okay. So, but there's a difference between a company who pays twelve dollars an hour. And a company that pays $12 an hour and pays for a good portion of the health insurance and pays for sick days and pays for holiday pay, and there's a huge difference. So that's not really a level playing field now because if you're a company that takes care of their employees and does the responsible thing as far as I'm concerned, offers health insurance, the burden is far greater on those companies than it is on someone who just pays the 12 bucks and says, yeah, you don't have health insurance, tough luck. Is the increase in the minimum wage going to have a an impact on the companies who are paying all those benefits, though? Won't most of them already be paying uh, at least uh, the minimum wage to their employees if they're providing those other benefits as well? Um, probably. Tw- my guess is, and I'm you know I'm not an I'm not an economist. I don't talk to a hundred hundred different companies, but from what I can see and from just where I'm at. Twelve bucks is probably okay. I think that you're probably not hiring people for less than that anyway. But it's going to thirteen next summer. Now, that's this is for starting people. This is for 
my question is, who's going to hire a high school kid that just gets out of high school who's 18 years old when they can hire somebody else for this for 13? It, it's taken out the judgment of someone's younger, inexperienced, needs to be you know mentored, groomed, coached, whatever. It's there is a point to where it's going to get more difficult and. Uh, when I hear small businesses complaining about, oh, I, I'm going to have to raise my prices, okay, well, raise your prices then. I mean, I think there was, a, I think you told me this. Didn't you tell me that Walmart figured out they'd have to raise their prices 2% in order to give a decent increase in the minimum wage? It's like. Somebody else figured that out for them, I think. Um, yeah, do it. I mean, this is who do you think is going to pay all this? The, the consumer is ultimately going to pay all this because most companies don't have the bottom line to to, to, to absorb that. So you can either go broke or you can raise your prices. Well, Jay, I think your choices sometimes. I think when these the minimum wage rules get written, they're they're often written with large corporations like Walmart in mind. Nobody doubts that Walmart can afford to uh, to pay the minimum wage, pretty much whatever it is. Um, but of course, it affects everybody, and there are a lot of smaller businesses, and we tend to see a lot of stories about that. Uh, a lot of the, you know, the, the minimum wages have been going up periodically over the past couple of years. That you know, the legislation that was passed uh, did it on a graduated basis. They've been kicking in. Uh, a bunch just kicked in on July first, I think, in California in particular. And whenever that happens, we read stories about restaurants and places and. Frankly, as someone in the media, it, it, it embarrasses me sometimes because I think the reporting is not very good. It's very hard to tell sometimes whether when you read quotes from a business owner about this issue, you don't know whether the, the owner is reacting based on ideology or based on the numbers in his or her business. And without really going through the numbers, it's hard to know just how big the impact might be. So, for example, you just raised two issues that I think point in opposite directions. You raised the concern about young people getting jobs, but you also said, well, it shouldn't be that big a deal because somebody can can raise prices. When we read these stories, what should we be thinking about in terms of the actual businesses to help us figure out whether a business can afford to pay the minimum wage or not? There will never be a prop. You'll notice that whenever they, they, they get publicity, it's never the big corporations that they're interviewing because they're the ones that are are, are probably um, not paying health insurance. They're, you know, these days, and people don't understand, they always complain about service and retail businesses. I'm going to tell you where that started. It started with health insurance. The, the big companies have figured, many of them, maybe even most, have figured out, oh, let's just hire part-timers. We have to pay health insurance. So you go into the store now, and it's a bunch of part-timers that never are really there long enough to, under, to, to learn what they're doing. And I've learned I usually know more about the product than they know because it used to be you went into a big department store, the person worked there for five years, they knew sizes, they knew what thing. Now it's like everybody's a part-timer. So as a result, they're – they don't have to have as big a burden as a smaller business. What, what you'll notice is they always interview the small business person because the big companies, PR departments or lawyers say, no, no, don't, don't, don't say anything. So like, they, they're fronting for the, for the big businesses. So the small business owner, you'll never have a problem finding a small business owner that's going to complain they've got to pay more for something. They're, they're, they're never going to be a problem finding that person. The question I'd ask that person is, <laughs> if you raise your – you know, the recession did some serious – mental damage on people in business, including me. It's like, that was way more than a recession. That was a reordering of the business world between the recession and the internet and health insurance. People are afraid to raise their prices because, well, business isn't great now. If I raise my prices, for sure it's going to get worse. And the fact of the matter is, that's how you put yourself out of business, whether it's getting your hair cut. When was the last time you your hairstylist went for I did a speech at the hairstylist convention one time, and I asked them, how many haven't raised their price in four years? Like, like half the audience's hands went up. Well, your costs keep going up every year, even if it's just two percent. You got to raise your prices at some point, and people are afraid to do it. And I understand that. Jay, but... do you raise your prices every year, no matter what? Absolutely. Well, <laughs> the worst of the recession, no, but yeah, because I've learned it's eating away. That two percent increases if you're giving your employees raises, which you probably have to do, and your electric bill went up, and your everything. Else, it, you got to. You, you've got to keep up with inflation. And if you don't, after t- five or ten years, you're out of business. Because if you're, or, or even if you're not out of on, business, the longer you wait, the harder it gets, right? For sure. Or if you're in a condo and the condo board decided we're not going to raise the. I've been in this situation where they don't raise the the the, uh, the homeowners' costs, and then all of a sudden, 
But by the time they figure out, it's so far. Now people are getting assessments for five, ten thousand dollars because somebody didn't have the guts to raise the, the, the assessment twenty-five dollars a month. It's very hard to make up lost money. So uh, this—it's a bigger picture problem. It's like if I would argue, if a small business owner, first of all, it's a level playing field. All of your competition also had to pay more money. That's kind of the whole idea of minimum wage. So if everybody's costs went up and everybody's forced to raise prices. You know, there shouldn't be a competitive disadvantage you're at. So I, you know, I think if you, if the only way you can stay in business is to pay people eight bucks an hour, I would argue you probably shouldn't be in business. That's a tough argument. I know it is, but I just, just really, I mean, what if you can't, what if you can't make money at eight? So what if you had to pay four? So then you should chart, you should pay people four dollars an hour because you can't i mean where's that where's that end is the question where's it end? the argument of i'm paying people to where's that end and at some point people do need to eat and live and so i fully support the raising the minimum wage but but that doesn't mean it should be fifteen dollars an hour i mean it's a problem <laughs> so, so maybe you don't fully support the, the minimum wage increase um <laughs> I'd like you, to come back to the comment after we take let's, the call. let's take a phone call. We'll come back to that. I, I, I think that's a really interesting topic, yeah. and I still want to go through a little bit more how you decide whether a business um, can can afford it or not. It's you know, especially if you're just reading stories because it, it's 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 often frustrating. But let, let's take a phone call. Amy in New York, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi, um, I'm Amy Bennett. I own the Green Grape in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. I find the what's the, the Green Grape, business? Amy? Oh, the Green Grape. We are a wine store, grocery store, cafe, bakery, a community of businesses um, in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And we put people back in the food equation. So my butchers cut down whole steer from upstate. We make candles and soap with some of the tallow that we render from the steer. Um, And wages are a big thing in my world because my MO is to try to pay people as much as I possibly can through adding value to things. So when they make dog food out of the the whole steer that we get from upstate, that's sold at a premium that then I can put back into my payroll. Um, It's a way to get sort of extra margin and added value in places. Um, And we do a lot of, uh, we make our own mozzarella, we make our own prepared foods, um, all with an eye towards a very healthy, um, you know, place for workers to be. But there are... It's an interesting time because there are definitely challenges, even in what, what I do. Um, Tell us, what what is the challenge for you? Well, the, the challenge, the interesting thing when you were talking about the minimum wage is, um, you know, retail has a couple of pressures, which is one, um, wages in the last three years, the, the minimum wage went up in New York from 10 to 15. So that's adding, you know, it's, it's one and a half times your... Uh, employment budget or payroll budget, and that's hard to absorb all at once. So I think uh, price increases are definitely on the horizon to kind of close that gap. But at the same H- have time, you instituted any? Have you started down that road? Um, we have not yet. I have I have a couple different sort of firewalls that I'm working on. I mean, we we raise prices uh, uh, on certain things where we can. We charge what we can for things. Um, so, but uh, and across the board, price raise is not probably not something in my business we'll do, but we'll increase and try to make margins in other areas so that the net going to the business is more. Um, we're increasing our efforts in things like catering. Um, that is a good added value for staff. Um, I started online grocery as a way to grow the top line. Um, so that's you know, but price increases are definitely in the quiver. They're an arrow in my quiver. However. What makes it um, an interesting time nowadays is I just recently got a Whole Foods 365 as a competitor. And, you know, the news that Amazon is going into Whole Foods changes the landscape a lot in terms of how much you can raise prices or how much you can charge. So it's like we're we're getting pinched from both ends. In a normal situation, you'd say, okay, you know, I have these loyal customers, et cetera, et cetera, and I can charge five cents more for a yogurt or whatever it is. Um, but in this environment, with the online coming for grocery, and I think right now, online is only two and a half to four percent of grocery sales. Um, but it's definitely expected to increase. You know, overall retail, I think it's nine point one. And the point of view on why Amazon isn't as affected is um, they're able to locate regionally. I'm in New York City, and so you know, I'm a physical store in New York City. And in some ways, I'm just sort of subject to that. But Amazon can be delivering groceries to the same 
people that I service and paying their warehouse workers much less than, you know, uh, $15 because it depends on where they're located, which I think is interesting with the Supreme Court decision recently because the Supreme Court decision recognized you no longer have to have a physical nexus, right? So it got me wondering, I, I know a state can only control the minimum wage in its state, but is it time to have a more powerful federal do you see what I'm saying? So that it even the playing field, as Jay said. Interesting question. Um, let me ask you about the competition with uh, with Whole Foods. You said it was a Whole Foods uh, 365. I'm not familiar with that. Is that different from a traditional Whole Foods store? It is. And actually, when I was um, very concerned about you know a big store moving in, as soon as I found out it was a 365, it was a little bit of a a, a relief. The um, Whole Foods 365 is um, Whole Foods' way of competing with like Trader Joe's and Aldi and some of those um, places. And they they basically uh, their goal is opposite of mine. I want to put people back in the food equation, and they basically want to you know when you go to the meat counter, there's not a person servicing the meat counter. It's like a cold storage place where you reach in and get your meat and things like that. And when you go to the beer section. Instead of there being a knowledgeable person who can tell you, you know, this cheese goes with this beer, et cetera, et cetera, there, um, there's, you know, a kiosk where you can type in and find out more about the beer, which is uh, my, my personal joke about it is, um, hey, you want to know more about that beer? Google it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm obviously on the side of wanting to hire um, smart people who know what they're doing and know their products and chose their products to be on our shelves, you know, so they have a passion for what they're doing and they know they know how to give advice on um, cooking and food. Amy, I, I have a question for you. Um, as I was sure. listening to you, I mean, it sounds like a pretty interesting customer desti- destination, This your green grape. I was wondering, in that situation, if you create, I mean, what, what this is all about, what the changing you know, consumer tastes are is, you know, destination and, and you know, how, can you create an experience that is unique? And from that, you can raise the prices because you've created something that Amazon can't create or Whole Foods can't create. And so um, it sounds like you've got a pretty unique sort of core to your business that if you go off in too many directions might erode that and you end up competing against the commodities or those bigger box stores or Amazon. So the question is, is do you have I, without having been there? Is it a unique experience? And you know, you talked about some of the products; they sound very unique to me, and like I want to go there. So, is <laughs> is is there some? I mean, is that a reason to raise the prices and actually get the prices that you're yeah. that you need to get? Yeah. Well, that's um, our conscious. That was our conscious decision to be. Um, if you think about a traditional supermarket, my store is twenty five. Uh, 2,500 square feet, so that's, you know, a tenth easily of a large Whole Foods, Um, and we eliminated the center aisles, so the commodity things are not so much on my shelves. You come and my people have chosen the, you know, the cool new jam or a new kind of pickle or, you know, or they're manufacturing, right, our own bolognese that you can have, and that was, that's by design, because to be indispensable, you have to be um, unique, and that. In the, in the world where Amazon is, is, I do think, coming for all of retail, um, you know, that's I'm sort of hiding in the last corner, I feel like, that um, may survive. And it, it will survive because people are my, the people who work with me are service-oriented, and we do have, I feel personally when you walk into the store, you know, you have hand-lettered signs. You have people who've worked there at the deli counter for, Jose's been there 12 years, you know, it's, it, it, you have like a connection and, and, um, and a special, unique, but, uh, but so, not every store is going to be able to do that. Um, I don't think. D- Jay, I, I'm eager to hear what, what Jay yeah. thinks about this. Jay, we, um, on the one hand, it sounds like if anybody should have been able to raise her prices already, it's, uh, it's Amy. On the, on the other hand, she's competing with Amazon. Any thoughts? 
I'm in a similar situation with my framing business in that, you know, all these, you know, there's several chains have gone into picture framing now with these phony discounts to 50% off every day and 50 and 40. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a sham. And the people that work there are making minimum wage and frankly, in many cases, don't have a clue what they're doing. But, and that takes a niche out. So the, so the lower end of the framing spectrum has been taken out of the market for not just me, but many other frame places. And we've had to double down on, taking care of customers that want picture framing done properly. And it's the same, it's a niche market. And in Amy's customers want a better, more interesting experience, and they are probably willing to pay for it. Clearly, it's a problem that, that these gigantic companies are out there with either venture capital or publicly owned, and they can just throw money around, and it's a problem. But it just, it just, it makes People like Amy and I have to dig in more and be more uh, creative and more customer-driven and better with hiring people and better at keeping people. And I believe that there is a niche of customers out there, if you're in the right neighborhood, that want better, more interesting, and will pay for it. And um, it, but but she also brings up a terrible problem with this. With you know, you're in one zip, you're in one zip code or one county, and you're you're paying fifteen dollars an hour, and then a hundred feet over the line, someone is paying uh, ten dollars, and you know, delivering or something. That is a problem, and the government needs to address that. It's it's if you want to have a level playing field, it needs to be a level playing field, and. It's it it just creates this little niche thing where it's difficult to compete with things like that. Absolutely, and it hurts the consumer. Not necessarily now. If the consumer is short-term thinking just on price, um, you know the the problem is with many of retail stores. I personally know in grocery, if you lose ten percent of your sales, you're in the red, and that has to do with just you know the the margins that you're making and and the um, skinny profit margins in it. But the online uh, selling is about at 9.1%, the online sales share of all of retail. So you can see that gets for grocery, like I said, it's between 2 and 4, but we're not far from that danger point. And what happens then is stores close, and then the consumer gets hurt. And in something like grocery, grocery is a very high um, capital input business. You have to invest a lot in cases and things like that. That doesn't come back immediately. You know, it takes a while for somebody to kind of dip their toes in again, and they may not in a business where things are closing. I, I think a lot about Toys R Us. I feel like um, toy shopping was the canary in the coal mine, uh, just in terms of, you know, you go on Amazon in December and parents are buying toys, and of course, you're just going to click and do it. You're busy, et cetera. Um, so I, it's interesting what's in store for retail. Amy, when did... When did your uh, minimum wage go up to fifteen? It will go up in oh. January of two thousand nineteen. Oh, We're you, at thirteen you, right now. Okay, so we've absorbed, and and that was my when we talk about price increases. Um, I sort of had my frontline defense, which is putting uh, all my products online, uh, all my grocery, which I hadn't had before, and now we deliver um, same day within an hour. Um, if you order online, you can have your groceries, and then um, focusing on catering as well. Um, I'm lucky that the three businesses sort of work together so that I was able to also focus on the cafe portion of it and adding some offerings there so that, you know, they all kind of can support each other. What is your labor as a percentage? um, What is your labor percentages on on sales approximately? I'm so – I'm actually happy to have that question because I've looked up when Whole Foods, before it was acquired by Amazon, you could see standalone in their um, SEC disclosures. And they were even with executive compensation. They were somewhere in the 20s, mid-20s. We are, we've been over 30, and that's, like, truly extraordinary in grocery, um, so as a percentage of sales. Uh, so, so my point is to, to cover the thir- – you're saying it's going from 13 to $15. Yeah. Right? Okay. That's just, yeah. cra- that's just crazy that they would put in – I mean, think about that. That's a – it's a, a 15% increase. I mean, so if your wages are going up 15%, you don't have to raise your prices 15%. You probably, no. if it's running 30%, you probably have to raise prices about 4 or 5%. And I came up with 5 was my, yeah. if, if all things being equal. But the- and the good news is everyone in your neighborhood is going to have to raise prices too. So I, my contention is the customers still need to eat. 
And in my case, the customers that want beautiful picture framing are still going to get beautiful picture framing. They're still driving their $60,000 Audis, and they're still buying. You know, go to Nordstrom's. I, I, I remind retailers, if you ever start to get paranoid, go into the department store and see what stuff sells for. It's, it's remarkable. People are buying the stuff. So it's not like everybody is, you know, they, they can afford if they went out and bought some. some there are a lot fewer food. department stores than there used to be, Jay. They're, they're not buying all of that stuff. Right. But they, and it's, it's, they're still buying plenty of it, and she's in a niche upscale market. For sure. So I'm just suggesting that if they used to pay $100 and now it's 105 no one's going to run out of the store with their head on fire. I think they'll pay it, and that's the way it goes. No, none of us like to raise right. our prices, but it is what it is. Well, and I guess the cautionary note, too, is is not to lose focus of what's unique about your business. I see that happen so many times with my clients that come into the center, the Small Business Development Center. They've lost what was unique about them because they're, they're in reactive mode. And so I would just say you've got something very unique here, and you can raise prices. And I would just say just be careful not to dilute what you've got that's going well there. And... Um, I've seen that happen. Yeah, that's great advice. That's exactly the choice is um, stay true to who you are and then and, but demand what you need to get paid for that service. Um, and I actually think the more things go online, there will be a tipping point where what we do is unique because we are based on service. If you go to my butcher counter, you can get a bavette cut of steak, and the butcher will tell you how to cook it and slice it across the grain with salt and pepper in a, you know, a cast iron pan. Ideally, Sorry, it's I didn't have lunch yet, and this is totally unfair to me. Amy, I think we all want to shop at your store. Um, <laughs> l- l- let, me, let me ask you this. Um, you, uh, you, you obviously have uh, a very unusual offering, and, and we're going to have to go to a, a break quickly. But you're describing the concern about uh, dilution and that it can be tough. Can you give us a quick example of, of a tough call that you made where you were attempted to, to scale back a little bit? Well, it, all right, in my business, I call it the Cheerios and Corona problem, which is, and, and actually, uh, people on my staff wanted to maybe lower prices. Um, on ch- uh, chicken in particular, that's actually a good example. So um, Whole Foods 365 has a um, scale of how well chicken should be treated, a scale from one to five. And they're proudly at um, one is the least, uh, you know, sort of well-treated chicken, and five is the most well-treated chicken. And there's, they're at number one on that scale. They've put out this hortatory scale, and they're at number one. Our chickens are five-plus. I mean, they're free-range and you know, air chilled and, and everything you need to, to make a really good meal with one. <laughs> Sorry, treated well before you So, you know, in, in that, we could cut back and start sourcing from Tyson or, or whatever, or we can stay true to what we are and know that you can only get that kind of chicken, or we could cut prices on it as a way to kind of get it to move, et cetera. But you know, you can only do that for so long before the whole thing falls apart. So for now, we're we're staying the course and, and sourcing the same. Um, because also, if you haven't been in my store, we would be a different store if we didn't source the way we did. It just wouldn't it, – it is a special place. We have a special um, range of offerings, and the people who come to us want that. They, I, one of the reasons I founded my store is I was on the Jersey Shore and had a dollar – paid a dollar fifty for a lemon ice right off the sand, and it was amazing. It had little flecks of lemon zest. Sorry to make you hungrier, but it was incredible. <laughs> I'm hungry, too. So the next year, I went to the same beach, and the whole time I was thinking about this lemon ice that I was going to get when I got off. And I went to the truck, and it was still a dollar fifty, but it was made with, like, a mix. It was, like, country time lemonade mixed with well water. And clearly what had happened is they had wanted to keep the price because they were nervous, but they diluted the quality, and I I would have paid six dollars for the one with lemon zest, <laughs> and at a dollar fifty, you really wanted that lemon ice. <laughs> That's interesting because you just you just basically answered your own question by saying, "Hey, you would have paid more for that a unique yeah. you know product." Absolutely. Absolutely. Amy, this is great. Thank you so much for your phone call. Thank great you. conversation. Good luck. Raise your prices. Uh, call back and let us know uh, how you're doing. 
We're going to have to take a break now, uh, but we'll be back with my co-host Celeste and our guest Jay Goltz in just a minute. If you have a question about your business, call us, 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. You can call right now. Our producer is standing by, Michelle Stucker. She'll be eager to talk to you. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 111. Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. Uh, I'm here with Celeste Corrado, my co-host, the director of the Warden Small Business Development Center, and we're speaking with Jay Goltz on Twitter. He's at jsmallbiz. If you have a question about your business, give us a call. Our number is 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. And uh, special thanks to uh, Amy Bed of the Green Grape. That was a great conversation we just had. It was exactly super. the kind of thing we're, we're always looking to do here. It's so nice to be able to, to really dig into uh, a situation. Uh, Jay, I'm curious if you have any uh, further thoughts. And I, I also want to pick up on her reference to, to Toys R Us, because I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, any, any further thoughts, Jay? Absolutely. First of all, Celeste brings up a good point, like what made you special? And we have to think of, see, the world has changed, costs have changed. So we are always looking at, at you know, stuff that we've been doing for 40 years. The question is, is it a value to the customer? So, you know, I always call it the, is it cutting Samson's hair? We don't know why we're so successful. We don't know if it's because of our great selection, whether it's because I've got people that have been here for 10 years. They, you know, there's, there's six different reasons why I believe we're successful. So when things got really tight, I, I said, there's no more. We're going to turn over every rock. So I said to my staff, okay, do we have to do framing in one week? We've been doing framing in one week turnaround for 35 years, it costs us overtime. Should we go to 10 days? And we thought long and hard about it, and we decided that it was worth the extra expense because at the end of the day, customers like coming in on Tuesday. It'll be done the next Tuesday. Can I prove that? that can I prove any of this? No, but I will tell you, we tried going to 10 days for about two days, and it wasn't good. And the customers would say, oh, I thought it was. And we immediately went back to the one week. So you have to constantly question, is this providing a value to the customer, or are we just doing it because we think it's a good idea? And that's a critical question. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jay, 100%, because we just see so many clients just eroding, you know, that and, and not asking that question, continuing to ask that question, not just one time and, hey, it's been great for the last couple of decades. But I, I also think there's a, a factor in there about anticipating the future, too. I, there is everyone, you know, there's, there's mixed um, sort of reaction to that. One is, hey, if you're agile and you're reactionary, you can get through anything. Well, I don't think that's true anymore. It'd be interesting to think, hear what you have to say, Jay, because I think there's some hard trends. Like we know online is just going to continue to be there. And there's just certain hard facts about the future that aren't going to change. It's just a trend that's not reversible. And I believe that there's probably a couple of those that everybody needs to sort of pay attention to it, including consumer sort of trends. And and yeah. you do see sort of people paying, you know, back back to Amy's um, point, uh, people paying attention to what's in their food and wanting a customer experience and just paying attention to where things are headed. So you're anticipating change and not sort of reacting to it. So you end up taking a wrong pivot that's going to take the business in a, a different direction. But well, your thoughts on that? Well, Amy's doing what we're doing. First, you look at your business and you think, okay, what can we do better than anyone else? And she decided to do some catering, probably a smart idea. We're doing more installations, and we've decided we brought a cheaper frame, a cheaper line of frames in that there's still high-quality moldings that frames are made out of, but they're in stock sizes. So if somebody has a photograph, instead of getting custom framing, they can still get the exact same kind of quality in the frame, but it's just already cut to size, which saves a lot of money. So we have... We, we are reacting to the fact that more and more people are just framing photographs, and, and we're always looking for things that we can change because you have to continue to evolve to match what the market and the market has changed. Uh, the, as far as um, anticipating things, yeah. Um, we, for instance, I'm opening a store next week down uh, near the Merchandise Mart in Chicago because I realized a lot of customers are moving downtown now. That wasn't the case 30, 40 years ago, and... It's getting a little New Yorkish. Back in the old days, everybody had a car in Chicago. Now, 
lots of people don't have cars between Uber and the high rises and the L, the you know the, the mass transit here. There's a lot of people that don't have cars, so we're open to store down. They're right in the thick of it because I need to follow the customers there, and I think that's going to prove to be a good move because I can't do business like I did in 1978. The world's changed. We're talking to Jay Goltz. Our number is one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. If you have a comment about any of this, uh, e-commerce, minimum wage. Uh, trends for the future, or a question, please give us a call. Jay, I want to get back to the uh, the Toys, Toys R Us, R Us thing, yes. because uh, <laughs> Amy mentioned that, and she referred to Toys R Us as kind of the canary in the coal line, coal mine, and I think she was talking about, uh, you know, primarily the impact of e-commerce and Amazon uh, on Toys R Us, but it, it wasn't just that. There was also the issue of private equity, uh, you know, the, the takeover, new owners, people come in who borrow a ton of money to buy the business and then kind of kind of strip it. I, I, I'm curious how you view something like that. Well, coincidentally, my first job, 1972, was at Town, which changed its name to Toys R Us. They consolidated. So I was actually working there in 1972. And most of their business was done in December, and it was a zoo there. I mean, it was it was on. I mean, the the back warehouse by the end of December with the returns, it was just a sea of boxes, and the the, the semi trucks would load up just to take the toys back. You know, that were returned. Um, I think that's also a case of the private. From what I read, they got big private equity, sucked a lot of money out, and then couldn't make their debt obligations. And the part that that makes me ill is people that worked there for 30, 20, 10, 5 years, they couldn't afford to give them any severance pay um, because there was no money left. The bankruptcy attorneys were getting like, I think it was $300 million. That's just not right. I'm not saying they should have a pension for life, but for God's sake, you think you know people could get four weeks, six weeks, some kind of, you know, after 30 years? It's, it's really a sad uh, picture of what's going on there with with companies that get bought out and they just suck the cash out and, and replace it with debt. And, and I think it's worth highlighting because a lot of business owners uh, who are looking to get money off the table or even to exit their business uh, are thinking about the idea of selling to private equity. And uh, I just I wonder if this isn't a, a, a cautionary moment for, for them to consider. Any thoughts on that, Jay? Well, I think... Um, you have to, you know, at some point in your career, you have to decide, is it all about the money? And if somebody, that's all they got, and they've got to sell the company to whoever, you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to criticize. It's just it's unfortunate that one's in that situation. And um, But when you sell the company, you sold the company, and you have no control over it. And there's some very famous stories. The, the body, what was the body shop? Yeah. Anita, the famous, the, the, yeah. she sold and then it went public, and then L'Oreal bought it. So all of those years of of the animal testing, yeah, whatever. Now, I mean, it's yeah. And she was asked about that, and she said she's. I think she's passed away at this point, but I think she answered that. Well, I hope they don't do animal testing, but like you know, it's just unfortunate that someone's entire business was based upon a certain ethos, and then when they sell it, it's like yeah, whatever. And I think it happens all the time. Let's take another phone call. Uh, on the line, we have one of another one of our regular guests, Lou Mosca. Welcome to Mind Your Business, Lou. Hey, Lou. How are you, today? How you guys doing today? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good, pretty good. You have an interesting day going. Uh, what are your thoughts? Oh, come on. So first of all, so first of all, um, I think Jay's been great. This is the first time I've heard him on with you, and I think he's been great. Second of all, I think that... Um, I think Amy's missing the point, in my opinion, anyway. So I think that if she's really providing this value that she claims to be providing, you might not be able to raise all your prices 5 6 7% across the board. But I'm going to bet anything, if you take stock of what you do, there are some items you can probably raise 7 8 9%, and no one will know the difference. And there are other items you could probably raise 1% or 2% and be okay with it. But if you're not bumping up those prices consistently, uh, Jay was right. You can't make up for it five years from now. It's lost dollars. It's lost opportunity. You can't get back. And then then uh, on the flip side of that, you know, I deal with probably a 1,000 business owners every year. And I will tell you, Lauren, that at least 80%, 90% of them haven't raised their prices in years out of fear. And if that's the way you're conducting your business, you got a lot bigger prices, than, quite bigger problems than just worrying about the price. 
Well, the irony there is people use the phrase, oh, he priced himself out of business. True. It's just it really meant he didn't raise his prices when he needed to, and that's how they went out of business. But when they – and, Luke, correct me if I'm wrong. When they go out of business, they don't think that was the problem. They think it was something else. They, they don't everybody even else's understand. Fault, Jay. It's always right. everybody else's fault. It's the not bank. their fault. It's the bank. You, right. Yeah, it's the bank. It's the economy. It's the competition. It's the government. It's uh, Lauren Feldman. There's always a reason <laughs> that, that someone screwed up. You know. But reality is you have to take stock of your own business. And I heard you say before, you know, someone can go into Neiman Marcus and look at buying some crazy thing for 1500 bucks that Neiman's probably paid $300 for, where they come to you and they get a quality frame or a quality uh, piece of merchandise. And when you can get away with raising your prices, or basically not when you need to get away with it, when you need to do it to maintain your margins, you have to do it. My daughter, when she was a kid, worked in a jean shop in a small village in Westchester County, New York, and they would not sell a pair of jeans under 200 bucks. And that place was packed every day because that retail environment knew they had to compete with everybody else. So instead of trying to be the cheapest guy on the block, they wanted to be the most expensive guy on the block and be the most exclusive guy on the block. I sort of go for price increases every chance that I can. And quite frankly, we raised our rates during the Great Recession also because we want to be different than everybody else. I don't want to be seen as everybody else. So this is what drives me crazy whenever I read the stories about the hikes of the minimum wage and you hear business owners quoted as saying, oh, they're just not going to be able to make it and they're going to have to go out of business because of the the hike in the minimum wage. How are we supposed to know whether that business really should survive or not? Whether, you know, was it a good business before the, the, the hike in the minimum wage or, you know, were they making mistakes like, like Lou's describing right here? Well, that they would have to say, I rate, which is what they don't. I raised my prices and I lost so much business, I went out of business. But if you do the math, which I've done a hundred times, you'd have to lose a lot of business to, to get burned in that if you have a decent margin. And, and, and Amy said something no one understands or a lot of people don't understand. In a typical retail business, you make all of your profit in that last 10% of sales because if you're working on a, let's just say, 50% margin, that's where it comes from. If your business goes down 10%, you don't lose 10% of your profit. You might lose all of your profit. So if you raise your prices, let's just say 6%, Chances are better than not, you're not going to lose more than 6% of your business, which means you actually made money on it because your sales are back to where they would have been. And people don't do the math. And when I do this at the frame show, people's mouths are hanging open because I show them you would literally have to lose. I show them if they're not making money, I say, if you raise your prices 10%, I show them mathematically, you'd have to lose 38% of your business to lose money on this. And, and I have people tell me the next year at the show, Jay, you saved my business. I raised my prices and I paid all my bills. I, it, it happens regularly. But this is the well, let's ask Lou about that. Being an entrepreneur. Lou, with the, the thousands of businesses that you've seen, how many times have you seen a business raise its prices and get seriously hurt by, by doing so? Never. <laughs> now, now I'm not I'm not saying they don't lose an account or two. And I'm not saying, you know, from time to time they don't get bloodied a little bit over it. But the 70, 80, 90, 95 percent of the clients or customers that you keep, you have to purchase less. You need a little bit less labor. Your overhead should go down a little bit and your margin should go up. And if you're not protecting your margin, you are in a slow death spiral. The key is I tell people this. You will lose some business. Be prepared for it. And then, this is the worst part, your employees are going to tell you, oh, my God, are you out of your mind? They already are complaining, and they, you start to listen to that. They don't do the accounting. That's the problem. Um, you are going to lose some business, but you're not going to lose enough. If you're not making money, at some point, what do you have to lose? I mean, and I've never heard of someone raising prices and going out of business because of it. I've never heard of it. So I have a question for both of you. You know, you both offer pretty unique. One offers unique services. The other one offers very, well, a combination of service and product that are very unique and would allow you to raise the prices. What about commodities? What about the guy who's selling a burger, you know, and a burger is a burger and now suddenly has to raise their prices? What do you guys think about that? Those are the ones I think have to really sort of rethink their business. There are very few commodities, and as burgers are not burgers. It's not, it's not a commodity. Some burgers are better than others. Some have a better atmosphere. Some well, if it's a commodity, then they have to do something right, about it. Well, no, there, there's, there's people like their, their favorite burger place, and if the burger was, was $11 and then they come in and the next week it's eleven fifty five, 
very few people are going to run out of the store going, oh, my God, it went from 11 to 11.55. I'm going <laughs> to lose my house and run out of the store. It's not going. It's going to happen, though. I'm not saying it won't. Maybe you'll lose 1% of your business. What about the um, – all this talk about minimum wage. This is such a tough time, I, I hear, from many business owners to hire people anyway. Um, it, wages, I think, are finally going up. Um, how does that factor into this equation? Either of you? Well, I've found that you, you can't it, – the minimum wage, at least in Chicago, is pretty close to what you have to pay anyway. So I haven't had a problem with it. So, like I said, I'm not paying 15 It just went to 12 I'm I'm good with 12 13 is going to get to be a little challenging, but I'll deal with it. But but I don't think people in the major cities are are going to be able to hire someone for eight bucks an hour. I don't think, which is what the minimum wage was. It's ridiculous. Lou, quick thought. I've told you I've told you before that I don't believe in. I, I won't look to hire or recruit anyone at minimum wage. I don't. I just don't believe in doing that. So you know, we we get deluged with applicants every week, and I know how. How tight the job market is, but we look at recruiting as the same as driving your revenue. You know, I think every owner I know puts in a full-time effort in driving their revenue or trying to make sure those widgets are built properly or pouring a foundation properly. They put a full-time effort into that, but they don't put a full-time effort into recruiting. We put a beyond a full-time effort into recruiting and making sure we're working at this nonstop, but we do not hire anyone ever at minimum wage. And in fact, if the first thing out of anyone's mouth in an interview is about money, I won't hire them. Lou, thank you for your thoughts. Thanks for calling in. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again, I think, in two weeks, if I remember correctly. I don't know. I'm sure it's close. We'll talk <laughs> to you <laughs> soon. Take care. Thank Take care, all. Lou. Bye-bye. Uh, Celeste, we only got a couple minutes left. Any uh, quick thoughts? No, I, I think the theme, too, was just to hold on to what, you, what the business is unique at. And you can pr- you probably wear or get through almost anything if you focus on those things and pay attention to what's happening in the, you know, anticipate. Jay, are you going to go back and Lou look for one thing? Lou said one thing. I just, he said Neiman Marcus. See, my example is, was with Nordstrom's. Nordstrom's, right. It's much big. It's not just the Neiman Marcus, which is the highest price. It's even the store that's, that's two steps down, Nordstrom's, which is just a high-quality store selling good things. You don't have to go to the most expensive place to see people get good prices for stuff, and people are paying it because they want nice stuff. So I understand where entrepreneurs are coming from. It's scary. I get it. I've been there myself. But the reality is you always have to play on one hand. You've got to play the artist, and on the other hand, you've got to play the account. And you've got to play both. And, and the math's the math, and the reality is your worst paranoia of I'm going to raise my prices and everyone's going to stop coming here is not going to happen. And I hope someone's listening out there that's listening to this because the other way is how you go broke. You've got to charge what you need to charge to give the product and service that you want to provide for customers that they want. That they want. So what are you going to raise prices on today, Jay? Um, I'm, I'm putting <laughs> in a 3%, 4% raise because my costs have gone up. That's the way it goes. And uh, remember, a, a raise for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> you brought up an excellent point. You've got to look at everything you sell. Some stuff will go up more than others. It depends on you know the cost, the market. But it's, 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 it's an art form and it's a science. It's, it's tricky. And I feel bad for entrepreneurs because it's a very emotionally draining exercise. It really is. Can you test a, a price rise real quickly? No, you, you know what? And if you go off of that one person that comes in that rips your heart out, he goes, "Oh my God, you're so expensive," and then they leave, and then the help goes. See, I told you this was. Gonna, that's how you go broke. It's the recipe for failure. You are going to lose some business. The, my contention is, it'll be one or two percent. We got to stop there, Jay Goltz. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, As always, Jay. appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you to our audio engineer Dion Simpkins and producer Michelle Stucker. Celeste, always great to see you. Great seeing you. If you Lynn. want to know more about Celeste, Google. WhartonSBDC.com. Just Google me. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Al Feldman. You've been listening to Mind Your Business on Business Radio Sirius XM 111. Thanks for listening, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 